Episode 9, August 10, 2020, Capital Gains and Management. Written in podcast for entrepreneurs, corporate management, and investors, John D. Sanders expands on his philosophies of making companies attractive for outside capital. Why to do it, how to do it, when to do it, how to promote it, and what to do with it. Visit johnsanders.com for more insights, articles, stories, and be sure to catch this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Mr. John. It's the John's show. <laughs> I, I so, guess it is. <laughs> there's never too many Johns in this world. No, no. So today I thought I would pick a topic that has always been near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. And that is capital gains is fundamentally the only way you can dredge yourself out of being a salaried employee. You're never going to get wealthy with salary unless you get enormous salary or you take a long time. So capital gains, of course, is the selling of property when it has increased in value. And capital gains comes because that's the way it's taxed. That's the, it's taxed on the capital gains. Mm -hmm. And it's usually at a lower rate, though off and on political parties decide that you really should pay the same rate for a sale of a property as you do for earned income. That has no relevance whatsoever. So you hold something for 10 years and then you get taxed at the same as if you had sold it in 30 days? No way. So there is the provision that you hold something long, you should get a break. This also encourages you to hold it long. But what, a day, what I want to talk about today is that in business, in fact, in personal life, you have a conflict in spending money versus investing money. It's a constant conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, um, uh, what if you're uh, what, what if you're taking off on the road to go to somewhere, and you decide now, do I want to go on the super highway and say high speed, or do I want to go low speed and visit the, uh, the the towns? Well, there's a conflict because one takes a short time, one takes a long time. So it's a fundamental of resolving it, resolving it with the amount of time you've allotted for it. That goes back to Parkinson. Work expands mm. to equal the time allotted for it. <clears throat> so we have conflicts all. So my position is that without conflict, you can't make good decisions. So you need the balance. So if you have two people arguing, you have a conflict. And what comes is a good decision as they compromise together. And usually wind up with one which is equally bad for both <laughs> instead of <laughs> equally good for both. So, conflict of interest handled properly is the best guidance for making strategic decisions. So, management and labor in big business come from the same arena. They both want to work less for more money with more perks and pay me on time. And capital takes the major risks and they should receive the major rewards. So it's this healthy conflict which guides the strategy to retain and motivate the best people to produce the goods and services at the proper price that attracts a quality customer in a competitive environment. That's my old decision for what makes a solid company. So then you come down, well, okay, so what is the difference between management and labor? As I said, very little. They come from the same side of the table. So when you have these big disputes, in these big companies where management is against labor, that's not really it. Management is the pawn of the capital. 
And I remember one time when I was running the newspaper, my editor, uh, uh, Esther, had very little money in it because I'd given her a good hunk of it. And uh, we were in this big dispute with a company who was about to sue us because we had our one of our reporters had come across something which they thought was very privileged information, and we put it in an article and subsequently in an editorial. I never touched the editorials. So Esther comes to me and he says, I'm about to write an editorial that i got to run past you because this could put us in some real predicament. Mm -hmm. And it's your money, right? It's capital's money. So I can't make, I don't think I can make that decision. So we went over it. I don't know exactly. We compromised a little here. And I finally said, Esther, what's our reasoning for doing this? Well, it's news. It ought to be covered. I said, well, taken from the capital position, I could care less what he does. So if the newspaper says that's critical, then let's discuss it. If it's not critical for the public to know, dump it. I've forgotten what we did, tell you the truth. But it was mm -hmm. taking a position. Do I want to risk a half a million dollars on a lawsuit? I don't have a half a million. <laughs> so so I forgot plus what the, decision. Plus the time it takes to do all that. Oh, well, once you get in the lawsuit, everybody loses. Yeah. So... Uh, there, there's. It's strictly a big difference. So now, as you big as you as a big capitalist in your company, you have the same conflict of interest. So you start every time you go to write a check, you should say, "Is this an investment or an expenditure?" Mm. So I take the position where my investing, I'm a hobby investor, as you well know. I say, mm -hmm. and my position is that when I'm investing, I write a check, and I consider it like taking a vacation. Or going to Disney World. I'm writing a check, it's gone. But I consider it an investment in the sense that it could, should come back to me many fold over if I've made a right decision. That's different from from uh, angel investors, who I don't know what they do for, but you've got these big venture funds that raise big capital, and they have an obligation to the capital to do the job right, as opposed to me, I have no obligation to the capital. It's me and my heart. But there is a conflict when I write that check. Is this going to be an expenditure that goes down the rat hole? Or is this going to be investment that comes back? Mm -hmm. And of course, my mental attitude, it's, a, it's an expenditure. My real attitude, it's an investment. I, I'm not, not putting this into something that I don't think has the capability of really producing many times over, including you. Thank you. You're welcome. Go to work. Very much. <laughs> oh, I am. I am. I'm very, very excited. Mainly, you know, everything you, you said at the top of the conversation about, you know, basically creating something of great value for so many people. Yeah, yeah. And let's face it, coming down the pike, we have uh, the potential, and this is what we look for also. How do you reward employees to get them into the capital gains position? Because if we want our employees to participate in the overall success of the company, then they have to participate in the capital gains, assuming we have them. How do you do that? Well, there is a absolutely perfect method. It was actually designed by the Internal Revenue Service 30, 40, 50 years ago. All the incentive stock option plan. It's a package plan. You just go to IRS and copy it down. And it provides for the shareholders to set aside so many shares for this incentive stock option plan to grant to employees, and they either designate the board of directors or a separate committee or both to actually make the grants. And the nice thing about the incentive stock option plan 
is that it both incentivizes the employees to stay and incentivizes them to work harder for the growth of the company. By that I mean, if you have a incentive stock options that have been granted to you, say you have a thousand shares, you can exercise at three dollars a share any time in the next five years. You want that stock to really grow, so when you write your three dollar check, it's worth six, at and least. it goes to ten. Yeah. So two trigger points. Number one is that you want to exercise as soon as possible, so your one year holding period starts so that the gains after you've exercised are long-term capital gains. Mm -hmm. Big difference in tax rates. These days, not so much because a higher tax rate is 26. Capital gains, I think, is 18 or 20. It's not the world's biggest deal. <clears throat> if you get in a 48% tax bracket and capital gains is 20%, there's a big-ass difference. In fact, this year, our, my wife's family, the last piece of property from the, her parents that ran peach growing. 43 years ago, Mr. Ewing made a deal with uh, Jim Eckert, who was the founder of Eckert Drugs, big drug chains in the Southeast, acquired now part of CVS, to, that they wanted to, their foundation to run this boys camp and they wanted to use his property there in Montgomery County, North Carolina, because he had 200 something acres to run the boys camp. And Mr. Ewing says, I would love to be on that land. I'll give you a lease, 10 years, no cost. So during that 10 years, they'd started to plan. They put a lot of leasehold improvements and so forth. And then Mr. Ewing died, and the rest of us put it into a Ewing family LLC, which has been running now for 33 years. Oh, my gosh. So that's right. Eckert's been on that property 43 years. That's great. So now it's come down. None of us are going back there. Right. The next generation could care less. Give me my money. I'm gone. Yeah. Uh, and uh, by the way, I own 1%. I'm a lucky guy. And um, uh, so we are putting it up for sale. We went to Eckert and said, look, we got to sell this property. Mm -hmm. We're going to give you all first choice. And on top of it, we're going to do something special. We're going to do a bargain sale. A bargain sale means that you sell it for some piece of property, but it's worth more and that you give back to the charity that differential. So those of us that are in the LLC will get a capital gain on a, what is now a zero-cost property and get a charitable deduction for that amount that they put in because all the leasehold improvements a leaseholder makes goes back to the landlord. So all of you've got a million dollars worth of improvements. Yeah. You know, they've got bunkhouses and they've got meeting rooms and bathrooms and stuff. They have about 200 kids on that property. I love this. Huh? Oh, it's great. They've I been running this. it. It's now, it's now a youth camp as opposed to a boys camp because they have girls mm -hmm. and boys. <clears throat> so we're getting excited about it. We're getting close. We've gotten drafts of the deal going back and forth, and everybody seems fine. The numbers seem right. We've got an appraiser going to do the appraisal. If I can wake my CPA up to give me a number as to what she's going to charge us to do things, we'll have that locked in. So we've got lawyers, appraisers, both sides and the CPA to do the, the uh, tax return. Well, the nice part about it is this thing's going to work out to be about $800,000 cash hmm. for Mr. and Ms. Ewing. We owe them so much. I mean, these folks that uh, <laughs> built that up over the years grew peaches. He had good years and bad years, but he was, he was the number one peach grower in the region. 
and uh, it's now pretty well died out. There's still some peaches, but not like it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we're going to give back. We don't know. The county has all that, all those leasehold improvements appraised at about 650000 for purposes of taxes. Of course, they're going to lose a tax holder because when it goes to Ewing, it goes to uh, the charity, they no longer pay the tax. <laughs> so I hope everything goes through. So we want to close that by the end of this year. And right now, they're waiting on the final, on the renewal of their five-year contract to run this camp. Mm -hmm. They expect to get it by the 23rd of August for some reason. When mm -hmm. they do, then we'll have a deal. If they don't get the renewal, we don't know. We've got a provision, but we'll put it up for sale beginning in October to somewhere to anybody else. And it would make a perfect hunting camp if you want to run one, John. You want to run a well, hunting I, camp? I, a hunting camp? Two, how many acres you said? 200? 275. 275. That, that would be a small hunting camp. Camp, well, I'll give you permission to go onto the adjacent properties. They're they're part of the family. <laughs> yeah. But, well, uh, John, I, I love hearing these stories from you. It's like it does get my wheels turning. So here's about, my point. We yes. want this closed this year. Because mm -hmm. my position is, uh, is Joe Biden has already said, first thing he's going to do when he comes in is raise taxes. Mm. That's right off our bottom line. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. And could be substantial. So anyway, we're pushing to get this thing closed, and we have to wait for North Carolina to come through the contract, and then this and this, and all the chips will fall. Well, it's kind of fun. Being a capitalist is really fun. I know. I'm learning. Even if it's other people's money. Even better. Yeah. Yeah. So let me so tell you how, how, we do, how we do with employees. Okay. So this stock option plan, now the employee has some options, and he can watch the value of the stock. Now, you have to have a way for him to get a feel for what is happening in value. Because if he thinks mm -hmm. things are going down, it loses its incentive. Mm -hmm. If something is worth less than you pay for, you don't have a big incentive. But it's perfect because if it's really a big growth company, and your company that we have valued at, uh, what do we value at? Three or four hundred thousand dollars. Okay, hmm. let's say ten years from now it's worth three or four million. Better be. Then we give away five percent of the stock to these employees, or ten. They've got three or four million dollars to the employees. That sure gives them a kick off the ground. So I'm looking forward to this. This is part of the fun of giving a small. Well, I know, and, and you know, I told you I was putting a team together, and there's a couple of people on the team that um, I know would be interested in long term, long term. Yeah, yeah. Know? So, uh, yeah, it's very, very exciting, and I like where you're coming through, coming with on this. But now here's an interesting thing about capital gains. For many years. The biggest capital gains were in the railroads back in the mm -hmm. early part of the century and the last part of the, not the last century, two centuries ago now. It's too late to start a railroad and consider you're going to be a big wealthy guy as an entrepreneur. It just ain't going to mm -hmm. happen. So real estate came about, and then we have the different values of real estate. But the biggest capital gains money is made from intellectual property. Now, mm. it's taking intellectual property and using it. Let's say, how about for an example, Google. My God, yeah. the value of Google, of um, of Amazon. Where is the value in Amazon? The fact they trunk so many packages through, that's part of it. But it's really in their intellectual property and their web services and all that sort of stuff. Amazon is an incredible company. 
And their awesome supply chain, how they, you know, oh. there's got to be a ton of intellectual property it's a, behind it's that amazing. one. Look mm-hmm. at Wal- Speaking of supply chains, look at a supply chain in Walmart. You ever been to Walmart and had empty shelves? It's just not empty. They fill those no. shelves. Yeah. So, so it's an exciting time. There's big changes in what's going on and where the value really is. Mm-hmm. Of course, I've been mm-hmm. buying some gold recently because I think gold is going to go up too. So what oh, prompted this, you to buy some gold? Oh, I've owned a little bit of gold, but I went into it. I've, I've got probably 10% of my money in gold now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In three different ways. I have a, have a bundle of gold coins, which I keep hidden. And uh, then I have some in the gold index fund on the New York Stock Exchange, GLD. And therefore, it's valued right at gold. It goes up or down incrementally with the price of gold. And uh, then I have uh, I have a little bit of gold in uh, in depository in one of these gold companies. Not a lot, but uh, gold coins is the way to go. Unless you're going to be doing in the five pound bundles of gold. That's not not my step. But anyway, gold and gold is fun. Now you look ahead and say, I don't give a shit what happens to money. Because you know I was over in Zimbabwe a couple of years ago, three years ago. And I have this $100 trillion Zimbabwe banknote. $100 trillion. And that was the old Zimbabwe dollars, which went to zero. <laughs> so I bought that note from a vendor on the street in somewhere and paid him five bucks, which was more than it's worth. It, you spent it with zero, but as a souvenir item. And they used to fill bushel baskets with these Zimbabwe dollars to go get a Coke or something like that. <laughs> now Zimbabwe runs off of the U.S. dollar. Your ATM machines, everything is in it, which stabilize things. Zimbabwe is not a bad company, but it's third world. By the way, that's where um, that's where the um, uh, the uh, Falls Victoria Falls Hotel is is in Zimbabwe. Ah, we spent three nights there. And, uh, well, but a beautiful old classic hotel, British, of course. They did stuff right. Yeah. Yeah. So every, my position is this. Every individual in the United States should recognize that it's nearly impossible to become wealthy from a salaried position. Assuming you don't inherit uh, inherit a bunch, the only way is through investments and capital gains. And after investing over a long period of time, or through the accumulation of hard work and insights, Along with the risk of capital, one makes that major hit. Then how much should the gain be taxed? How much does that tax rate affect your decision to sell or invest in the first place? So you have to decide at the beginning, what is my real purpose for investing? Do I really want to become wealthy or I'm just trying to trying to piecemeal things up? And in a company, you have the same thing when you're making an investments. You write that check. Is this to pay for janitorial services that will never come back in, in, in a multiple? Or is this to buy into the janitorial company that we'll own who will not charge us each time? <laughs> or just buy the, just buy the janitor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But these are, these are, John, you will love, these are fundamental decisions mm-hmm. that bring out the conflict of interest that really mm-hmm. allows you to think things out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and make the best plans you can based on the different conflicts. And then just when you get ready to write the check, you say, 
Let me think that thing over again. <laughs> Let me take one more pass at that. Yeah. But the American, well, I... the American business is built on this. And this is why being in business is really fun. And you'll know my other key to being in business. Reserves. Never yeah. spend your last dollar. Always yeah. have money in the bank. That was on the last episode for sure. Or no, Absolutely. actually, the episode you did with Kelly Bagla. Yeah. On Go Legal Yourself, which is a, yeah. a, that episode's really great. Yeah. So that's basically what I had to say today is that, that conflict of interest is not bad. So when people mm -hmm. say, well, this guy couldn't be, can't, can't be running this part of the business because he has a conflict of interest. Wait a minute. Is that good or bad? Conflict of interest by its very nature is, even if it's a conflict that would put you in jeopardy, is not bad if that person knows how to handle it. You just don't base on inside information or something else like that. So you, at that point, you're down to the morals of the individual. But I like conflict of interest. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of it. And so don't you think, huh? Go ahead. Don't you think it offers an opportunity, a creative opportunity to create something new? Yeah, yeah. That's what I, that's how I see it. Absolutely. That's what our that's what the the capitalistic system has proven over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You get people that are willing to take risks th with their money to try something different. All right, let's go back to Google and and Amazon for a second. They were started mm -hmm. in their basement or their garage, both of them. Amazing. Yeah. Apple. As did Apple. Apple, absolutely, and Steve Jobs' garage. These are incredible. <clears throat> where else but in the nice. United States? Well, I was going to say where else but in the United States, but China has done some amazing things also. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, John, I, I appreciate these conversations a lot, and as you noticed, I listen. Because, uh, you know, you, you have what I called golden-tongued wisdom. Yeah. Well, a lot of people lost a lot of money for me to get that wisdom. So, uh, in the long run, <laughs> we made a lot of money. So, we did That's all right. Great. And I had fun every day of my career. That's good. I want to remind people to please visit johnsanders.com. You'll find all of his articles and links to the podcast, even the other shows that he's on. And, uh, you know, basically we're putting out an episode about every two weeks, right, John? Absolutely. And I'll tell you something. Uh, it's It's been exciting working with you, and I plan to do it over the next, what did we decide, 10 years? Something yeah, like 10 that. years. Yep. I'll only be 92. Yeah. Still a spring well, chicken. I won't tell you. Well, I'll be, uh, I'll be in my mid-70s, let's say. I'll be 20 years behind you or something. I don't know. 15. Yeah. So, yep. All right, my friend, you take care. Call me. I'm around this week. I have nothing dramatic, some things okay. off and on, but maybe we get together later in the week. That'd be great. 